Thanks for listening to this sermon from the Image Church. Find out more about us and our weekly services at imagejesus.com. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you. We thank you for this day, Father. Lord, um, my, 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 my request is that I'm able to um, deliver and convey what your word is saying and deliver it in truth. Um, we rely on your Holy Spirit to touch people's hearts in the room. Um, we don't do that through awesome preaching and everything else, but I pray that you give me in this moment to be able to explain what this word is saying so people can receive exactly what you're saying through these scriptures right now. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. All right. <clears throat> so we're in a series right now called the Ride or Die series. Um, last week I preached um, to live for part two in the series. Um, and this week we're in Philippians three. And the name of this one is trust. It's about trusting God. OK. Um, and what I've done every week is I've explained to you the context that Paul is actually writing to the church at Philippians, and it's a church that he's, excuse me, the church at Philippi, and it's a church that he's actually planted. So these are like, these people are dear to him. They're, they're on the mission with them, um, and, and they're invested in what God is doing. And so I, I, I let you know that all the time because I want you to know the importance of the letter he's writing. But this is not going to be on the screen, but I want to start off by re- reading through Philippians 1, 3 to 11. So if you, if you ever take any classes on studying the Bible, one of the things they tell you is you always go to um, usually the first chapter. And you, you go to the first chapter because a lot of times the weight of what the writer is saying throughout the whole book is kind of sitting in that first chapter. So you get to understand, like, why is he talking like this? You know, you may jump in and start reading in chapter four or five or six, but if you go back all the way to the beginning, you can actually find out, like, man, he's saying this stuff because these particular things. So a lot of time it's there, and a lot of sometimes it's at the very end in the conclusion. So Paul says something in the very beginning that I want to, and this is just the intro for a starting. I want us to hit this before we go into Philippians 3. But he says... I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in prayer, always in every prayer of mine, for you, all, for you all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you, yearn for, about you all, because I hold you in my heart, and for you all are partakers with me of grace." I repent, Lord, don't strike me down. Mercy and grace on me. Hold on. All right. So it says, for you all are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless from the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I know that's a whole lot. I'm just going to hit a few things for you real quick. Verse four, he says, always in every prayer of mine. He's telling them they're always in every prayer of his. Then in verse five, he says, we have a partnership in the gospel. And then he goes on, he says, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. And then he goes on to say, how I yearn for you with, for you all with, with, the affection of Christ Jesus. And then he says, my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all, and all discernment. So this whole ride or die series is, if we're going to put it into, um, just wrap it up into something, into one statement, it is Paul as a father, and he is literally yearning 
yearning for the growth of his church. He yearns for them. He fills them. When he's apart, he's sitting in prison right now, right? And so his heart is yearning for them. How many people know, like, when you, when, in the movie, when people on their deathbed, they always say the most gangster phrases, right? When you're dead, like, you, when you say, like, whoever saw, y'all saw The Outsiders? That used to be my favorite movie. But you remember when, like, Ralph Macchio was, like, all burnt up and stuff, and he's there with Pony Boy, and he says, like, yo, stay golden, Pony Boy. And then that was the end. But that's all you needed. You walked away like, oh, my God. Stay golden. Like, you like, I still walk run with that till this day. But Paul is literally, this is the context of what he's dealing with. He's in prison. Inside of, um, inside of Philippians 2, he actually says, man, I don't know if I'm going to live or I don't know if I'm going to die. So the, the, the idea of death leaning on him is very heavy. And when he is writing these letters, before I jump into Philippians 3, I want us to really, really, really understand Nothing he said is nonchalant in these, in these words. Everything is with the utter heaviness. Y'all get me? He is writing them and he's like, this is the thing. Like, if, if I don't make it tomorrow, this is what I want you to know as a church. So he's speaking to the church, all right? So Philippians 3. Now we can jump into it. All right. Can y'all hear me okay? All right. Philippians 3. So he says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same, same things to you is no trouble to me and it's safe for you. And he says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Let me tell you what Paul is saying this, right? Saying right here. When Paul calls them dogs, he's saying that because when he says that, when he references, when he says the idea of they look to mutilate the flesh, number one, he's physically talking about like circumcision. And so the context of their day is that you had your religious, your Pharisees, you had your Sadducees, and, and, and their policy was this right here. For you to be right with God, you had to be circumcised. They thought their righteousness was in the idea of these rituals and these acts. And Paul is preaching the gospel of grace, and he's saying to them like, beware of people who come and try to pull you away Keep your ears open because they're going to try to make you, they're going to come and size you up. They're going to size you up and go, you don't do this right. You haven't done this and you haven't done this and you need to do this. And they're going to try to pull you away from trust in Christ Jesus alone and pull you into this works. Right? And that right, now, that right there is the same thing we face today in the church. It's exactly the same. Nothing's changed, all right? And so... I'm going to read two commentaries that I want you to hear that really break this down really, really well. All right, so the first is from Spurgeon, and it says, This is the real circumcision, which is of the spirit and not of the flesh. The men who have abandoned all confidence in themselves, the men who have come to rely upon Christ alone, the men who rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh, those who care not for the outward rites and ceremonies, but who worship God in the spirit. These are the true circumcision. Y'all got that? So let me give you a quick breakdown. So when he says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. So people who mutilate the flesh, what he's saying is they're mindful of trying to get it right. So they're always working to get it right because their salvation depends on it, right? And then when he's, so when Spurgeon is telling us when he says, you know, have no confidence in the flesh, 
it looks like this right here. It looks like I have no faith in my, my flesh is sinful. Last week I talked about understanding your sinful nature in the process of sanctification, how God uses that so you don't run away from that, right? But this is what he's saying. He's saying we have no confidence in the flesh so we're always leaning into Jesus, right? So it's kind of like this podium right here. I can lean on this joint. This is Jesus right here. I can lean on that joint, relax. I know that he has me. They're trying to lean into their works on this other side and they don't have them. They're going to fall on their face. You get what I'm saying? So that's what he's trying to say there. Let me, let me work on it a little bit more. So MacArthur says this. He, he calls them dogs. He's giving a commentary on this particular scripture, but he says he calls them dogs, evil workers and the mutilation. Very clear terms. They are dogs. Why? Unclean outcasts. They are evil workers. Why? Because they think they're doing good. They're working good, but the fact is they're working evil because they're attempting to please God by their own self-effort. And he calls them the mutilation because they do not have a true cleansing which circumcision symbolize. All they have is a physical surgery that nothing, that's nothing more than a mutilation. He really lets them have it. They are not real. They are not genuine. They are dogs, outcasts. They are workers of evil, not good. Everything they do is filthy rags. They cannot attain to God by their own effort, and they are nothing more than outwardly mutilated group rather than an inwardly cleansed group. Right? So there's no confidence in the flesh. If you remove the confidence in the flesh, there's Christ by faith verse confidence in the flesh and a deceived notion of confidence in Christ, right? So we have this thing here where what we see in America, like I hear people say it all the time, it gets really lost in the wash, the pure, true gospel that is based on righteousness in Christ Jesus alone. Like, Everybody has the name church on their sign, so it looks like we're all on the same team and we do the same thing, right? But we, we're, we're not, and I'm not preaching separation or division, but it's an expensive, expensive mistake for us to get the two confused. So a lot of times we'd be like, why would Paul speak with so much vigor? Why would he call them, why would he refer to them as dogs? And the reason is, is because the idea that you could work this out by your own works, is at war with the cross. Plain and simple. The cross, Jesus paid for us on the cross, right? By his sacrifice. If, if we could do something that could add to that or could, or could equate to that, he wouldn't have needed to do that. So Paul is calling them out as very enemies of the faith. But the thing is, it looks all cute because it kind of Wears a cross on its T-shirt too, has the bumper sticker like honk honk if you love Jesus and God is for America and all that. Like it has all of that going on. But it has a confidence in itself, therefore it's at war. You get what I'm saying? We have to be vigilant to pay attention to that. And that's what Paul is actually referring to. This particular reason is why last week I, um, I spoke on, y'all remember the sanctification sandwich? I spoke on the sanctification sandwich. The reason I use that concept is very much what Paul is getting in here. So if you weren't here, the whole idea of the sanctification sandwich was that we need to be fully aware of our sin nature. A lot of Christians get pulled away or, or the enemy lures them away because we have this sin nature that all of us have. All of us have it. If you have flesh on your body, your flesh is wicked. That's the bottom line. It just is what it is. Your flesh craves stuff. Last week, I read a list of stuff, and I was talking about um, um, 
everything, theft, orgies, um, um, hatred, jealousy, envy. And we say all those things, and the first thing we do is kind of shrink back in our seat, like I'm not on there. But the fact of the matter is, if I run through a list of all of these foul things, all of us got something on there that actually whets our appetite. And it's natural that we would say, hold on, I don't, I don't want to be that guy, and, and, and step back. And if we're Christians, we get scared because we're like, can't be that and be a Christian. And so you tend to go into the darkness and try to handle it yourself. But there is a process by which God calls us to walk into the light with our sin. And he comes and he just smacks it with his mercy and his grace. And as he presses on it, it produces sanctification. It produces fruits of the spirit, love, patience, mercy, all of these different things. All these different things. Can I be real with you this morning? This morning I got in an argument with my wife. I was completely disrespectful. And I apologized to her in front of the kids. It sounds real cute, but I didn't mean it. It just was the right thing to do. So I did it, right? But when I drove here this morning, I started thinking about God's mercy, and I said, God, I said, man, your boy acted like a straight jerk this morning. And I began to repent, and I began to ask God for mercy. And then my wife came in today, and I snatched her up, and I got a little hug from her, and she forgave me. And, like, we really, really... She really forgave me. But you know what? I saw myself. When I came into the light with it, earlier when I apologized to her, I was just trying to do the due diligence of being good. I didn't really mean it. My heart wasn't there at all. And, but God dealt with me in the car. So he showed me myself, and it was ugly, and I walked into the light with it, and he had mercy for me. I knew he forgave me for it. And so when I saw her, I was able to actually apologize to her, Right? That's the spirit of God moving. That is what the Bible talks about, about walking in the spirit, walking into the light, allowing his spirit to step into the process and produce fruit. Do you, that's, that's an amazing thing, that we don't have to go hide with our sin, right? We have to put, we put no confidence in the flesh. We can deal with it because we're like, yeah, yeah, I did something ugly like that because I made a flesh. And the Bible tells us that the spirit is at war against the flesh. The spirit desires to please God, right? But the flesh is at war. It has enmity with God. It's at war with God. So you, that's why you are halfway crazy sometimes because you have these two things going on. But as we bring it into the light, God brings us into that process, makes a sandwich, throws some mayo on it, tomato, a little bit of bacon, boom, love comes out. The reason I'm saying all this stuff and the reason why it's so important is because of this right here. The way that the dogs are going to show up on you is they're going to call you to task. They're going to be like, yeah, you, got the, you did this right here. Because in their mind, they're earning it. They're good. So they're not in the light with their stuff. So when you're walking around in freedom and your trust is in Christ and you're able to be you and you're not sitting around going crazy, they're like, you don't move like all oh, my Christian friends. And, 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 and they're going to they're gonna use all of these different things or whatever. They're going to say, like, yeah, you're, you're messed up. Why you got that going on? Fix yourself. Why do you do that? That's going to always be the word today. Fix yourself. Get it together. Be a real Christian. Stand for the Lord. That's what they're going to say to you. They're not going to push you into trusting in the cross and sanctification 
and the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God. That's not going to be the story. It's going to be work, work, work harder. And Paul is saying that is the doctrine of the dogs because it's completely at war with the reason Jesus died on the cross. Are y'all with me? This stuff, so I'm, it's gangster stuff. It's amazing. It's so beautiful. It really, really is. First John um, 1, 5 through 10 says this. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Right here. Right here it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. He's faithful. He's just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? So the beautiful, beautiful thing is that sin that easily besets you, the sin that you may even like to do and take pleasure in and don't want to let go because you enjoy it, you can even be at peace with the fact that God has a plan for that. Like he has a plan for all of it. All you have to do is walk into the light with it. All you have to do, you can, you can literally go before him and say, God, I'm doing this sin because I like this sin. I know it is wrong. I know I'm sinning against you. I know that I'm hurting myself and I know I'm hurting my family, but I need you to save me. I need you to help me. I need you to change me. I need your spirit to move. And, and, and based on this right here, he's, he's, he's going to go into action. He just needs us to come into the light with it and come into the process. He says, if you walk in darkness, he has no part in you. He doesn't hang in darkness, right? So last week I made the point. It's crazy for us to think that God does not have a process, doesn't have a, a, um, a plan for us when we feel like we're shipwrecked, even though the Bible says we were dead in our trespasses when he came to get us. So we were completely at war with God. We didn't have a, just a change of heart and want him. He literally came and rescued us when we were in our darkness. So why wouldn't we think when we're walking with him and we got darkness still popping and rearing its ugly head, why would we think he wouldn't have a problem, right? I mean, excuse me, have a, have a process and a plan for that. So we're able to walk into the light. That is a beautiful freedom, right? I want to show you something how this beef plays out with the idea of this freedom in Christ versus, um, versus the law, right? And people trying to put the law on people. So... Um, Acts 15, let me read this to you real quick. It says, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had, a, had no small dissension and debate with them, so in other words, they came down telling everybody you got to be circumcised, Paul and Barnabas having no small dissension, that's the proper way of saying they had an issue, they were flipping over tables, and there was some beef going on, right? Paul and Barnabas are like, that's not the truth. Stop telling people that mess, right? And so it says, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. 
and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and apostles and the elders, and they, de and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostle and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of, gospel and a word of the gospel and believe. All right, hold on, let me back up real quick. So you have to understand, so Peter's still alive. Peter saw Jesus go out, right? So this is not too far after the cross. Paul, who's known for um, just... Killing Christians has now been converted. He is actually having these run-ins with um, people who are Christians, but they're saying they're still, they still haven't got the gospel and the sense of grace and the cross and what it actually meant. They're still filtering through this, and they're holding on to their self-righteous. So this is clashing right before our eyes. And so now they've come up before the assembly, pretty much the, the, the head guys within the church that are stewarding this new movement of the church that is coming from the cross, right? And so, so he says this, he says, and after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, this is beautiful, listen to this, brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you, that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them. And having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither of our fathers nor we have nor we have been able to hear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. So let me explain this to you. Peter, Paul and Barnabas show up. They're going against the council. The council, a lot of people in the council, the Pharisees that are there are like, Look, you have to be circumcised. You have to follow the law of Moses for you to be clean and be righteous before God. Peter has a moment, right? And Peter is basically like, cut the crap. You know, we haven't been able to follow the law and neither have our fathers. So why would we place this yoke on them and say, do this perfect thing or whatever as if it produces righteousness? He's basically saying like, you know, this don't work. Stop playing the game. This is not it. And Peter's like, we, he includes himself with them. He says, we believe that our salvation is through Jesus Christ, through grace in the cross. Y'all get where I'm coming from? Y'all with me? So he has a moment right in front of the council. Stop playing games, homie. Let's stop playing in church. It's in Jesus Christ, only in Jesus Christ. Our forefathers stumble and trip through this game. Let's stop carrying the game forward and let's stop putting that yoke on people, right? He's saying, let's stop acting like dogs and let's give it up to Jesus Christ, who's the only one that could set us free. That's what's happening there. All right, so verse four, Philippians three says, Paul says this, he says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless, right? So Peter runs down his resume, and he's basically saying like, man, if I did try to walk that walk, like, I would be the top dude. They would put me in the game. I have all the, you know what I'm saying, my, 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 my qualifications, my resume is amazing. 
they will usher me straight to the top, right? So he's going through his resume or whatever, and in verse 6 he says, as righteousness under the law of blameless. In other words, he's like, a lot of what these guys are even trying to do, I did it so beautifully. I was killing it, right? So I put this note here. It says, be, be prepared because the enemy will tip you, tempt you with what you could be. Trips down memory lane and feeling like you're just existing and have no purpose and then points you back to a time when it seemed you were going after it, but you were really building your own kingdom, right? Paul is going through a trip down memory lane real quick. He's, 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 he's throwing up on the wall his resume real fast. That happens to all of us. That happens to all of us all the time. My Christian walk is like that all the time. The enemy is always jabbing me with stuff, whether it be from other people saying, Jay, man, yo, you know you got, you got connections, you could do this, you could do that, blah, 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 whatever, but Christ is the prize to me, so I'm doing what, that's the, and some people won't get that, so they'll always point you other directions, or we will, we'll deal with it in our heart, thinking about what was before, we'll have a hard season with God and we won't understand what's going on, we'll lean different ways, right? And so Paul is kind of, he's throwing his resume up, right? And then he says this in verse 7. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may, may, may gain Christ. So my question is, what is so important that you must keep it, get it, or achieve it? Is it money, reputation, spouse? Or just simply being right, right? Paul takes his resume, lifts it up, and he straight suplexes it, body slams in front of everybody. Push. It means nothing. It means nothing compared to Christ. I count everything, all of these qualifications, all of these things that I could stand on, all these things that are esteemable in the eyes of man and would make me cute to them and make me be the guy. It means nothing compared to Christ. Y'all with me? It's the great exchange, right? All that we are in exchange for all that Christ is. That's what it looks to walk after Christ Jesus, to follow after him. All that we are in exchange for all that he is. Laying ourselves down, denying ourselves. Your religious reputation, your achievements, your presumed maturity because of your works, you got a straight body slam it. Put it in the figure four, tap it out. Boom, 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 three times it's gone. You got to put a hurting on it. Just is what it is for the sake of Christ. We're going to either do one or the other. It's either you or it's him. And this is, what, this is what Paul is calling us into. This is what he's saying to his church. This is what that, the, those, those words, as I, I shared to you, if this is going to be his last words, this is what he wants to know. He wants the church to know. This is what it looks like. It doesn't look like anything else. There's not another option. There's not another way to do this at all, right? Luke 9, 23 through 26 says this. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever would save his life will lose it. But whosoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words... Of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Saying, lay down your life and pick up his, right? By faith, lay down your life and pick up his. Um, verse 9 goes like this. says, 
in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and, make, and, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I just want to point out in verse 9 it says, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Everything that I'm saying about laying your life down in exchange for Christ, it all sounds good, but the, 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 the thing that's in the middle of that is faith. It's faith. It, it, it is, God doesn't give you this roadmap of how everything is going to work out and play out. So it's like you have to follow by faith. And it's like that faith, when you come into it, it's like he starts revealing the kingdom. It's like the code, right? It's like we're outside and then all of a sudden we're like, Lord, I trust you. I lay down my life and I trust you. I don't know what's coming next. I got things coming up. I have bills to pay. I have situations. I haven't finished school yet. This and that. My marriage is on. I don't know what it is, but God, I believe that you're better than everything I have, that anything I'm capable of pulling off, I think you have something beyond that. And I believe this word, right? So it's by faith we step into it. Faith builds your house. Like, so I, just, I remember when I got saved that, um, like, I just remember the fact that I just didn't have anything. Like, I, had, I didn't have anything. I had no more confidence in myself. Um, and, and, and I just was at this point where I was like, God, I have nothing. Like, you tell me to go left or you go tell me to go right. I've told many of you this story before, whatever, about my brother, Van. But he, I say this because he's, he's simply just one of my heroes, period. But my brother, Van, is, he, he's, um, he's nuts, all right? It's like been in and out of prison. He's just the one in the family where it's like nobody knows what in the world he's going to do. Like, his... his, his um, his bullcrap meter is like real sensitive. Like, if you say some stupid stuff, like, I mean, even my aunts and uncles, they like, don't say nothing stupid around him because he might get a slap in everybody or something. Just keep it cool. Like, he is like one of, he's a live wire, all right? So he's a live wire. And so my family's always like, they always ask you like, they're like, how's Van doing? With a little tremble in their voice because they like, <laughs> they know like, the answer might be like he's in prison or he got shot. You know, you know they don't know what it's going to be, but there's always a tremble in their voice. Well, several years ago, um, Van had came home and he had been in prison for a couple of years. And so we would talk on the phone, you know, every now and then and stuff. And he, he came home and he told me this right here. He said, Jay, he said, man, he said, man, I think I figured it out. I said, figure out what? He's like, life. Got to figure it out. So I got this new plan. So what's the plan? He goes... I figured out that everything I touch, I destroy. He's like, I'm good at destroying everything, anything. Even when I'm trying to do, a good, do good stuff, I destroy. I destroy people. I destroy lives. I destroy relationships. I destroy everything. I'm going to destroy it. And he's like, the new plan, I'm going to do whatever God tells me to do. He's like, that's my new plan. He goes, whatever he tells me to do, I'm not going to argue no more. I'm not going to try to figure it out. I'm basically going to... Sounds like that scripture, deny myself and follow Christ, right? That's what he told me. My brother right now is the, the, the captain of so many clubs in college. 
He travels all over the United States representing his college. He's freaking dean's list. He is like, matter of fact, he has so many charges and his criminal record was so long, he wasn't even supposed to be able to serve as like one of the school presidents. And, 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 the, and the leadership fought for him to be able to do it. And I just watched this guy. He's married. Amazing. We talk on the phone about God. But that whole idea of faith, it architect everything. I saw it come up. I saw him start at the bottom with like salvation, the cross. And then he just moved and made a left here and made a right here. And he just turned his mind off. He served. His first thing he did, he started just showing up to the church, just building every day, just working on stuff doing whatever and that's where he started at and it went from there and it went from this and that and then God has done an amazing thing there is I'm going to stay here on faith for a minute because I think it's important to our church um, let me just let me, I'm going I'm to read through something real quick throw up Jeremiah uh, 2 4, 4 through 13 so I'm going to lean back into the Old Testament real quick, and I'm going to read this or whatever, and I'm going to bring what they're saying, I'm going to bring it to life for us right now. And I'm not going to take it out of context because exactly what I'm trying to say is what Jeremiah is saying right now. He's the prophet. He's speaking. God is speaking to him through his people. But there's so many lessons in this that we need to know because the, 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 Paul is concerned about the church and people being pulled away and, and God and, and, and where they're at, how they're holding to God. He's, he's concerned about people manipulating them. But I know that on this road of faith, it's hard because you can't always plan out going forward. And God does his own thing and it discourages us. Sometimes we're in this wilderness and we're like, what in the world is going on? And we simply just don't know how to process it. And so we ask questions like, God, have you left me? Have you neglected me? What is going on here? And we forget that God is perfect in all his ways. So if he sends you in a thunderstorm, he has a reason for the thunderstorm, right? He has a reason for it. Everything serves to give him glory. So if you're in the midst of it, if you're on the side of the road with a broke down engine and you got $2 in your pocket and you're like, what am I going to do here? You can trust in God that God has a purpose even for that particular moment. It may not make sense to you, but by faith you can trust him, right? And so let me show you this right here in Jeremiah. It says, hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord. What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? They did not say, where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt? God is confronting them and he's saying they, they, didn't, they didn't look back and remember, right? This is so important for us as believers because, like I said, when you're on this path and you're trying to figure it out and it gets a little hazy sometimes and you don't understand what's going on, you are going to need to look back and remember. What I'm trying to say to you is that you have to make monuments out of when God shows himself faithful and strong so you can remember it in the seasons that you forget or when, it's, when the heat is turned up so much that you get a little disoriented and you forget God, you, you stop giving God the credit for being God that he is, right? Because we're foolish like that. It's important for us, like Peter, when he said, he said, man, our forefathers, they couldn't carry this burden, right? So, so what are we doing? We, we're stumbling over it. So when I look back in the scriptures and I look at God confronting them about their, their foolishness, 
All I see is myself. I'm that foolish. So I need to look into this and make serious note because I have no confidence in my flesh. Like I said earlier, right? I have no confidence in it. I'm not going to steward this scripture and this gospel like I'm smart and I'm cute and I got it together. No, I have no confidence in the flesh. So I'm holding on to everything you say, Lord, because I'm foolish like that too. And my only hope is through Jesus Christ and your spirit working. Y'all with me? So you make monuments. When you are in the jam and things are going on and you're like, how am I going to pay this bill? How, I'm going, how am I going to make it? And he comes through. You go through that and you savor every moment of it. You taste the pain in that moment. And you do whatever you got to do to make it through that season, right? You do whatever you got to do to make it through that season. When I'm in a really hard season, sometimes I just, I just do praise and worship. And the reason I do praise and worship is because I'm going to be honest with you. The only thing I got on the tips of my mouth is a complaint, is a grumble against God. My, my, the sin that besets me is blaming my wife. Anger towards my kids. So that's all I got locked and loaded because I don't understand what's going on and I'm uncomfortable. Things ain't looking right, God, and you ain't telling me nothing, so I'm mad at you. So because I know that, it's the foolishness inside of me, sometimes I just play praise and worship because it lets me follow somebody else and say things unto God. It's just, it's just therapeutic for me, and it saves me from saying the, keep holding the dumb stuff out of my mouth because underneath all of that, I know God is God and he's faithful. Y'all get where I'm coming from? So you have to build processes to get through the storm. Paul is telling them, like, it's faith. All of this stuff happens by faith. And faith, this walk in these seasons that they're in is going to look like different things, right? On the back of my arms right here, I have, as for me in my house, we serve the Lord. That's a monument. For some people, it may have issues with tattoos. But for me, it's a monument. And the reason I got it is because I was in a season where my friends, like, you know, we're doing stuff. And money was being put on the table for all type of deals and everything else. And all my friends started talking kind of crazy. And everybody was just jumping ship. And they're like, yeah, man, they just called about a couple hundred thousand dollars, this and that. And da -da. And everything we held to about God and Christ and what was important, the line started getting real blurry. And it was breaking my heart. And so I was like, as I tried to hold on to God, I was feeling the pressure too. But I was holding on to God for dear life. So I wrote that as a monument. I wrote it so I can see it and remember it. I'm, you understand what I'm saying? So that's something for me to look at and remember that particular moment. Taste what it felt like to be wavering a little bit, but to hold on to God for dear life. And to see him come through, it was the right decision. So now that is a monument for me. Let me keep it moving. Okay. They did not say, where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of desert and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through, where no man dwells. And then it says, whatever the case may be, excuse me, I'm sorry, it says, and I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things, but when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. So I just want to touch this really, really fast, and I'm going to bring this to a close in a second. He says, who led us in the wilderness in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through where no man dwells. Have you ever thought about the idea that when you're in the middle of a storm or you're in the middle of what seems like a desert with God, perhaps you are actually going through a land that nobody in your family was willing to go through? That God is actually redeeming some brokenness inside of your family? 
and you're sitting there, you're with your spouse, and you feel like y'all are going to kill each other, and y'all are trying to work through it, and it hurts in the pit of your stomach, and you're just like, God, what the heck is in it? What's going on here? But you're looking at your family tree, and there's abuse, divorce, and there's fathers, and everybody neglecting, and all the kids, nobody's came up with a father, and all of this stuff. But you're in the fire right now. And it's like our, our position becomes sometimes a complaint, but God is actually redeeming everything, right? The wilderness is a part of the process. Right here, he just described coming through the wilderness to take you into this land of fruits, right? Of blessing. What I'm saying is we have to have the right position and we have to have the right understanding of what God is doing because if not, the enemy starts, starts playing with our mind. We need the monument so we can remember, but it's, it's not always easy. But we, we, God is always doing something. We have to give him that credit. Let me go through the rest of this. And it says, and I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priest did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handled the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. So basically the point is if we become forgetful, we become ungrateful and we'll look for worth outside of Christ, right? That's why it's so important. Like I said, we put no flesh in the confidence. So I read this and it makes me tremble a little bit. It makes me hold on to God for dear life. Like, Lord, please keep me. Please keep me walking in your spirit because I'm not smarter than these guys. All I have is you. I have no confidence in my flesh, right? He says, therefore, I will contend with you, declares the Lord. As with your children's children, I will contend. For the cross to the coast of Cyprus and sea, or send to Keter and examine with care and see, see if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods? And even though there are no gods, but my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Listen to what God is saying here. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. My point with this is, is this right here. Our flesh is so desperately wicked. It, it, it's, it's so desperately wicked that God is pointing to us as it's a wonder. Like, I have sent my son to die for these people, right? I'm taking, this, I'm taking this out of context now so you can get the point of what he's saying. He's basically saying, I have provided for them. I have given them the living water. And yet they've chose to go put their faith into something that does not give them living water. Doesn't hold any weight. Do you get where I'm coming from? So the point being is this right here. We have to be fully aware and conscious of the idea that our flesh is utterly wicked. We have to be aware of it because being aware of it makes us only lean on Christ Jesus. It makes us only lean on him. And the dogs that Paul is referring to, the way that they're going to yank us out of stuff is that they're going to try to get us to lean on something else other than Christ Jesus. So we look back at the forefathers and we look at their foolishness, their foolishness that they thought that there was something beside the living water, right? Their mind was tempted with something else. They tried to build on something else or whatever other than God, the holy, righteous, living, and perfect God. 
There are many of us today that are sitting here or whatever, and we're contending with the idea of what does it look like to deny yourself and completely follow Christ Jesus. Even if you're trying to figure that out, he's faithful to lead you in that. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, we serve a good, good God, so the pressure, you don't have to digest that. You can rest in the Lord. Come into the light and bring it before him and then have faith that he will work it out and begin to work those things out. And even if the sin that you're dealing with is so ugly, it's so ugly that you can't fathom that you can come before the Lord, let that crush you too because you can come before the Lord. Let the fact that we serve a God who is so holy but invites you to come up with your backpack full of crap not try to get cleaned out. I couldn't come to Jesus for the longest because I was too busy. I'm like, I got to get myself straight. I can't come in there like that. I got to get myself straight. Everything changed the day I just stopped trying to fix myself and just came to the cross with it and said, God, I can't fix myself. I have no other options. It's nothing but you. I can't do it, right? Paul counts his resume as rubbish. He counts everything else that is fighting for his attention as rubbish. He counts everything that would bring him esteem, power, notoriety in this world as rubbish. He puts it all under his feet only to be used. He's using it at this moment with us reading it as being used to give glory to Jesus Christ on the cross, right? And then that way we are the circumcision. We are the circumcision. We are the ones that are called to Christ Jesus. All right. That's my sermon for the day, y'all.